So far, the dream team of Japanese creators Honda, Tsuburaya, and Ifukube are three for three in the kaiju genre, with the iconic Gojira, the masterful Rodan, and the inspirational Mysterians. But how long can the streak continue of these amazing monster movies? This is Kaiju vs. History, Varen the Unbelievable. Welcome back to Kajiverts History and a return to mainland Japan for this week's episode. My name's Patrick and joining me is my monster mashing movie bashing cohort, Miles. How are you doing tonight, Miles? Oh, man, don't like that. Don't, <laughs> like, don't like that uh, reputation. I mean, I guess it's specifically for American 50s. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're coming off of a the the lowest score i think you've you've given out last week which oh uh, you know understandable is it all, all, of all of them run together for about a team <laughs> of four for me so <laughs> yeah, we're, we're back we're back with ashira honda the master right so yes. everything is good <laughs> well 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 everything is better for sure and yeah we're we're with a creature varin which was released in october of 1958 in japan and over four years later with a localized American cut, just like Godzilla King of the Monsters got in December of 62 under the title of Farron the Unbelievable. And before we get into your favorite segment, Patrick, mm. I think it's important to point out that Varen the Unbelievable, because we ended the show last week specifically referencing giant monster Varen, which is the Japanese title. However, the American and the international title has long been Varen the Unbelievable. And I believe if you buy the Blu-ray from Tokyo Shock, it's also still under Varen the Unbelievable. So yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> what we're going to title this episode. I, I, I was going to say we were, we, were, we were chatting about this as soon as we ended the last episode because Patrick saw my face. Well, yeah, because, so like because the, we've been going back and forth on, you know, using the original Japanese names we did that with Gojira or if we were going to use the more commonly known ones internationally. And with Varen, let's let's test this out right now. For my my personal belief is I think Giant Giant Monster Varen is the official title. It's probably what we should go with, but colloquially it's colloquially still referred to it as Varen the Unbelievable in the episode. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of the same thing with Godzilla Raids Again. Like that is its international title, even though obviously Gigantus the Fire Monster is like a completely different film. Technically, Varen the Unbelievable is a completely different film. Came out four years later, about 20 to 30, no, like 30 minutes of the original footage, I think, comes through. And then they refilmed with American actors, obviously 40 minutes, which that is not what we're talking about today, but internationally it is still known as there in the unbelievable, because that's like the, the title that became popular, but we are reviewing and talking about the original Japanese version, which is sadly a lot harder to come by than the American cut. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's okay. <laughs> but before before we get into that, Patrick, tell all the folks at home what's in a title. So a great deal, Daikaiju Varen, the literal Japanese title, Dry Monster Varen, 
is is what I came out to in 1958. The original story script version was called Monster of the East by Kaiju Varen. Here, obviously, the localized version is Varen the Unbelievable, which is not a bad uh, sobriquet. <laughs> the Unbelievable, you won't believe them. But in Mexico, it was translated as Varen the Incredible. Another fine one, mm-hmm. <laughs> Varen the Monster from Prehistory or Monster of the Orient in Germany and Brazil. Ooh. So it's got a couple of titles. <laughs> Swing and a miss with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Varen o Monstro do Oriente in, in Brazil. It makes sense that there's a couple of titles. I was surprised in watching this movie. They don't say Varen until fairly later on because the monster is known by something else by well, the local peoples. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. And so what's important to know going into this one, especially, you know, as as we brought up at the beginning of the show, that these guys are three for three. We've, we've been getting classic after classic after classic. And even Godzilla Raids again, which is by no means wonderful, was still, I think, a seven out of ten for the show, which is, you know, pretty high com- compared to, well, most of the American ones. Yeah, but, I, I didn't put that on the list. Because it was not directed by correct, correct, Shira Honda. Um, but yeah, that one's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So one thing to keep in mind, and and I think this is going to frame everything because everything that's wrong with it and everything that's right with it is kind of hinges on this. So in 1957, Toho was pr- approached by ABPT Pictures to co-produce a new kaiju film for television. So I, I should say that that is who we believe was entering into a partnership because that was who reached out for Godzilla raids again to originally create an Americanized version of that film, which I think was going to be called attack of the volcano monsters or something along those lines. If you remember, I think we talked about that in our Godzilla raids again episode. Yes. So the, this was originally designed to be three episodes each at 30 minutes. And we've talked about American broadcasting Paramount theaters before, as Patrick just mentioned. Yeah, you know, they, they, it's again, they, they pulled out. They did not bring that forward. Eventually, that was whoever did Gigantus the Fire Monster, which that escapes my brain right now. But I think Warner yeah. Brothers was. And, and they, they ended up producing and financing the film the beginning of the end. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've we've seen a film that did get put forward but they collapsed in 1957 i believe so the project was going to go forward with them but suddenly all the funding kind of went away and they were i believe already shooting this film in 57 58 yeah with with the idea that everything was going to be done for television which at this time very little on this scale had ever been really attempted like not not with the way they were doing it because I think this is this is pre Ultra Q, isn't it? Yes, there was a a kaiju television show which we can talk about, but we can't really watch because it's never been released and the the airing of it kind of has been for the most part lost to history. Uh, Marine Kong, which I think came out the same year, I'll, I'll double check on that, but 1958. So the, I mean, the idea of putting black and white kaiju films on tv is is doable but on this scale with the (laughs) the director of godzilla is is pretty crazy right this was supposed to be a a big project even at a lower scale because 
you know, you could cut corners. And if it's being done for TV at the time, no one's really going to notice. And that that perspective changes drastically (laughs) when Toho alters the film's status for being a television, basically miniseries or Mm -hmm. or maybe an event series, as we we call them now, Mm -hmm. to a theatrical feature. Yeah. So when they they lost the television money, they're just like, okay, well, whatever we've shot, we will convert into a wider format and put it towards a theatrical release. And this is kind of a death knell for the project. And I think it only kind of works as a theatrical release because, you know, there were dedicated people willing to usher this into into that next movie. So it, it is a huge step back for Shira Honda, who you know, was previously on our podcast coming off of Mysterians and amazing Toho scope, audacious color production with a much larger budget to this film where it was shot originally for film. So it was a 1.33 to one aspect ratio. And of course, black and white, there's not really color TVs at this time. Right. And, and that was a noticeable thing because yeah, we, the Mysterians was in color and then all of a sudden it's in black and white. And, you know, for, for the film audience it, it, in watching that, it could be, you know, especially if you don't know the background, a little off-putting, and Honda himself is is very critical of this film as a result, and and part of it is because of, of the working conditions. In fact, he says specifically, this change was forced upon us. We were shooting things so that they looked big and powerful on the small screen, but suddenly we had to take the same footage and try to make the same impression for the big screen. It just doesn't work that way. And on top of that, we had been shooting based on the premise of making it th- three episodes. Now we had to somehow combine it, combine it into one continuous story. Of course, it did not work. We had a very hard time adjusting it. The desk side planners just did not understand how the filming side worked. Yeah, and and you see that in the the movie in some places. I guess I'm I, uh, maybe a little immune to it, but there are elements of the film that the because they have to stretch it out the top and like the bottom of some people's faces is just framed Mm -hmm. a little odd there's not that many really strong character moments where i think i would notice that in say if they did the same thing to the film godzilla but right yeah for the most part is is kind of a bummer that you know maybe if they had changed their minds earlier on in the project we could have changed up the film stock and, and gotten a color variant or you know, like a little bit more epic well they but, also i think would have written it more for for the screen i think we might have gotten maybe a little bit better fleshed out characters because this was supposed to be you know a massive sci-fi project for television so they're focusing on the monster and they're not worried mm-hmm. so much about a lot of the characters i mean they're there but they're not they're not as flushed out as they are in Gojira or even the Mysterians. Yeah, I have seen various, re- you know, reports online that the original screenplay for what would have been the TV show would have been four parts. But I've also seen some people say that it was supposed to be three 30 minute episodes. Either way, I mean, I think it makes sense in, in either format because there's there's the beginning part where people go missing and our main characters kind of move up the the mountainside to to find them and then finally the emergence of Varen. and then i would say the second episode would be them trying to contain it and the military coming in and stepping in and trying to attack it and then the third of course would be it 
on the loose. Maybe the fourth would be them taking it down in the the airport, the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. I think those probably would have worked as episodes, especially if what I thought would have happened, which would be like an event series, they do like one per night. So you'd come back like each night in in a week to to watch these as opposed to like one per week. So that, that could have built up very interesting. Unfortunately, when you kind of smash them together, this is not binge-worthy television. Well, yeah, because I mean, they they screen it in a certain way. Because I mean, there's there's stuff like you know, noticeably uh, machinima in, in the modern context where it's it's done in pieces so that they function as episodes, but they're really meant to be seen as a, a whole piece. Mm-hmm. There had there was a recent Transformers series before it went to Netflix. Ruby is an excellent uh, example where. Yes, you can watch the episodes, but they're, they make sense more as one piece. This is not that. Mm-hmm. This is, you can tell, it's it's a bunch of people panicking that all of a sudden they are, are making things for a very different format. And at that time, the difference between television and film it, in terms of how things were, were both filmed and this kind of stuff they would try to do on the small screen were very, very different. So mm-hmm. what would have been a a mind-blowing small screen experiment became a let's face it a a middling uh, feature film yeah and i would love to evaluate this movie and kind of watch it through the mindscape of like if this had been on tv if they had gone through with that it would have been great but yeah we're, we're mostly looking and, at this as a film and on tv in the late 1950s yeah yeah, because but, I mean, you got you got to imagine the the sets that are watching this, the, the being in black and white. You're not watching it on a four or two inch flat screen, you know. It's yeah, I don't know really the history of you know these films going to TV. Like when when was the first time like Godzilla was was put on television? You know, in in Japan, right. like I I think they the movie studios. I mean, because there there wasn't like the synergy between movie studios and TV studios, there's no reason for them to release them if in five years time they can re-release the movie in theaters instead and make ticket sales that way, like they did with King Kong and Godzilla and a lot of these other big movies. So I just I don't know if there would have been, like you said, anything like this on TV at the time. Right. And so I I think when you and it's so funny because I know I know because after after last week it sounds like oh well Miles just favors Japanese movies and that's that's it it's it's not just that it's that the context of the creation of this film is it absolutely changes how you watch it mm-hmm. and yeah e- even given this setback I mean from a historical aspect this is much more interesting than kind of what feels like the cash grab of the War of the Colossal Beast. They well, obviously went yeah. in with a different idea completely on, on what to do and then changed it, changed it up at, in you know, kind of the last minute while they're doing this month long shooting for for this film, which yeah, is, this, this change happens as they're making the movie. So, like, it's yeah. it's a wholly different thing. What what started off as a cool, like blockbuster idea for for television is now. Oh, man. And so I I. I personally kind of give the film a weighted score when I'm watching it because I yeah. I looked this stuff up beforehand. I'm like, okay, well, I'm uh, the the reason I, I looked stuff up beforehand because I don't I try not to do that as much, but I noticed that it was in black and white, which caught me off guard. 
Yeah, I I think before I, I had not seen this movie before doing it for the podcast, but the the reviews Same. that I, I have heard of it is that it is, you know, kind of kind of a miss as far as Akira uh, Ashiro Honda kaiju films goes. And I don't think it, it's that bad. I think it's, it's kind of it's not it's not a I wouldn't call it a mess. It, I mean it it definitely has when you're thinking of the the filmography of Honda and what he's done up till now, it definitely because of what happened does not come across as his best work for that very reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he seems a little embarrassed by this film. I know this film is not one of his favorites at all. Well, you know, what's crazy is uh, we'll talk about the American version a little bit, but he didn't know that there was international uh, distribution (laughs) of of the film until an interview in the eighties where he was a little confused, and and that's probably because the Varen the Unbelievable didn't do crazy good box office. I think Which I, I I can I can see why, and I mean it's one that he's just he's always talked about how he was, you know he's he's always been a very kind of humble person to I would sometimes consider extreme degrees when he thinks that God, the Gojira is okay, but. Him saying that this is not a work that he's happy with, flat out, he is not happy with the work in this film. There's a reason for that, and yeah. and I, I think we just can't overlook that. And yes, this film, I, I call it middling. It's it's by no means bad. I, I think that there is kind of a fun attempt to because I know that Japan's long loved King Kong, and there's mm-hmm. an attempt to kind of tell a King Kong like story with the flavor of Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, it does. There's a lot of mixes between a, a lot of the things they've done for the the design of Varen and the kind of plot of the the movie. We do have a you know a far off locale where the the movie starts. Like you said, kind of maybe similar to <laughs> King Kong in a way. I mean, they they basically go to to Skull Island, even though they keep calling it the Tibet of Japan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure what island it's supposed to be on. I don't think it's on like the mainland Japan, but it's far to the north. So it is it's like one of the places where, you know, his half human film was was filmed or, or where it was set. Speaking of Ashir Honda's biography, where we learned a lot of the information about the, the filming of this movie, it does seem I was very interested to find out that after American financing fell through, they still potentially planned this to release on Japanese television because uh, composer Akira Ifukube did come in and create two separate soundtracks, the latter of of which, you know, one for for film, one for TV, the latter of which I don't think we have access to there there are records of it, but it was supposed to be indeed a couple of different episodic soundtracks as opposed mm-hmm. to the one continuous one that we, we have access to in the film and in that film, it's, it's great. It's some, some good yeah. music, including a motif we're going to hear come back and re- be reused for Ghidorah versus the, or Ghidorah, the three headed monster. Um, yeah. I, I think the music was, was solid enough i mean it's definitely some of i mean there there are notes where i'm like okay he kind of retooled this movement from gojira oh yeah there's there's some cribbing going on for, for well. sure there, there there is some musical shorthand but but it's by no means a bad thing i mean i 
very much love his work and he does yeah, very, very solid with it. That's kind of one of the positives about him doing multiple kaiju films is you can get a sense of a through thread, you know, I don't know if, if John Williams is a good example because a lot of his soundtracks are, are, are very different, but I think when you go to a movie that has a John Williams soundtrack, you're like, Oh, there's John Williams, you know, you can kind of tell that that is it's got that that loving hand behind it Mm -hmm. we haven't watched the american version i started it it is the one that is probably more accessible to find online but i did want to talk about a little bit because we're not going to well do an entire episode on it is and it isn't i mean the internet archive is your friend y'all so for most of the hard to find japanese films that is where we are watching Um, yeah unfortunately there's mysterians yeah, there's not a in-print version of the Japanese release of, of Baron. I think you can find Baron the Unbelievable still, but it, I mean, it's a shame because I think if you get a great scan of this movie, like I said, you know, it's it's very watchable. That Kaiju Baron, uh, pretty good. I thought that Tokyo Shock released the uncut Japanese version. Did they not? Oh, well, I, I guess maybe I'm thinking here in, in the U.S. I, I think a lot of even. Oh, no, harder... they're they're, they're a, I don't know. I won't say they're American company, but they 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 have le- releases that that you can buy here. Um, It's it's sometimes hard to find. But, right, right. And it's it's under the the, the very and the unbelievable. But you can, you can go on uh, Amazon right now. And I think it's about 30 bucks for for the, the, the Blu-ray. I believe it is the the Japanese version. Oh, you know what? It might, it might, it might just be the. I, I, I think this is. Yeah, no, it's got actor, actor yeah. listed as Myron Healy. It, yeah, I, I'm looking is, at the reviews now. It's, it's, it's. They said no Japanese version here, which is unusual. Tokyo Shock usually does a good job of getting the Japanese version, so you're yeah. right. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of BS because it does have Japanese actors on the cover. <laughs> I'm seeing the one that you're, you're looking at, but yeah, that Myron Healy is kind of like our our transplant main character that they brought over for filming new scenes. And they, they didn't really use any of the Japanese actors or footage of those characters from the original movie. It's a lot of just the, the action sequences and it's got a completely different plot. It takes place on a made up Japanese Island. I think instead of, you know, far up at North in the mountains, I started watching it. It wasn't very good, but None. Uh, well, one of the things that shocked me is watching the credits scroll at the beginning of that film. None of the original Japanese crew were were given any credits in the American that, release. Yeah, that sucks. So, which uh, you know, not something that happened at, at the very. I mean, I think there were misspelled names, but at least they credited the the Japanese cast in Godzilla: King of the Monsters. So, another asterisk to our, our footnote to add the the to go back uh, a second the Tokyo Shock version of there and the unbelievable is mm-hmm. the original um amazon Tokyo has shock. a problem with they will bunch a lot of versions of the same movie mm-hmm. into one thing and all reviews will just be for the movie and not for specific versions um but i'm looking on tohu kingdom right now and they are speaking very very highly about this release and about the japanese language track Okay, but that must be, yeah, like you said, an error on Amazon's part. Because well, like, like I said, sometimes it, it's Amazon almost... will, will aggregate 
a lot of their releases. And so mm-hmm. sometimes the reviews will be about the film in general, and even though it could just be talking about a version that came out 20 years ago. That's why we have an entire segment of the podcast where we talk about the titles of these movies because it gets confusing. And this is a good example. It's just known as Varen the Unbelievable, even though this technically, I, I guess you can buy the original Japanese version, which is, you know, just called giant monster Varen. I really wish they would make that kind of distinction, but yeah, you could place an order on eBay for what you think is one version and, and get the the other, unless you're careful. So, and there's apparently some, some extras that try to re to cobble together about what they were trying to do as the TV episodes for this release. So I, I need to get a hold of this disc. This sounds awesome. I would, I would be interested in, in that. I think this one, it's the great thing and why I wanted to do this podcast because even maybe the bad kaiju movies, there's sometimes a good deal of history behind and the story of how Farron the Unbelievable came to be is is pretty interesting. We have, I think, talked a little bit about the writer for the story of Varen, Ken Kuranuma, who wrote the script Giant Monster from the East Daikaiju Varen or whatever, but his original story was changed and altered mostly because of that change from TV to film. There were a lot of ideas that were talked about in the biography and in, in interviews with him later in his life where he wanted to play up the fact that these movies are very popular with kids. There were scenes of you know, more than just the, the village boy in the, the film who wanted to act and pretend to be therein. There were a lot more scenes of dialogue between the characters, which unfortunately were cut for whatever reason. And this film marks the start, but definitely not the end for the screenwriter for the movie Shinichi Sekazawa, who is going to have a lot more credits on this podcast, becomes kind of a Toho mainstay. He wrote the screenplay for Mothra, Invasion of the Astro Monster. And like, I think a dozen other movies in the 60s and 70s for for Toho and another TV series that we are going to talk about eventually called Aegon, the Atomic Dragon, an actual kaiju movie that is made for TV that eventually I think did make it to TV, (laughs) but a very similar kind of idea behind this one. Let's uh, let's let's cut right into it. Let's talk about uh, old Varen. Right, right. There's actually a good amount of thought put into the monster itself, even though <laughs> kind of gets a bad rap in history. And the suit especially, I don't feel like a lot of people really enjoyed. <laughs> well, I, I think part of it is, so Varen is a, a trifibian. I guess you call it is a land, sea, and air monster. Mm-hmm. The sea and land stuff, fine. It's the they try to do something to where it's not a creature with gigantic wings like your your Ghidorah or your Rodan, and instead give him kind of that that Steve Ditko Spider Man webbing <laughs> deal. He's a, he's a flying squirrel, of course. But the problem is he also launches off that way, like he just starts flying. Yeah, it seems without like flapping anything. He should have exactly. He should have some kind of like jet coming out of 
his four turtle leg holes, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, so I, th- I think part of that is why Varen, I, th- I think it's a large part as why, why Varen is often kind of given the shaft is because that aspect specifically makes him look extremely goofy. It's yeah, because it's, you've got all, all four limbs of these, the suit actor spread out like he's flying, but it, it, it honestly points out the flaws in the, the way the suits are made more than anything else. I think it's the, the only flying suit is a, a half-sized prop. I'm not sure if we ever get, do we see like the suit actor kind of with the, I thought we did a membrane point. Maybe, maybe I think it shows them like kind of coming out at one point, but yeah, the, the prop isn't great. It, you know, it's like any of the flying props until we get to, Ghidra, you know, it's it's an unmoving, you know, toy mm-hmm. model, which I mean we could talk about that prop all day. Um, it's a couple feet tall and it's serviceable for like mm-hmm. the 30 to 60 seconds it's in this movie, but it, it does remind me a great deal of the first time that the scene where it flies off from its its home lake. The first time that Gamera flies in in his first movie, it seems like Gamera kind of stole that scene from here because everyone is just like, "Wait a minute, it can fly!" <laughs> the the whole military is, well, is shocked. I, I I love I I will say I do like the air of mystery. I mean, again, they give it this King Kong beginning. There's this 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 area or the island of Japan that a, a thought a long thought extinct butterfly or rare butterfly that was only found in siberia i think was found by a random boy in japan in this in this area so they they send a team of researchers to to go in there and they're they come across you know some of the natives and the they are like y'all need to leave and of course scientists say lol no and keep on going and then get killed and it looks to be a landslide and so when they start to go investigate at the local people keep bringing up this baradagi right right and i was i was sounds like his name at first (laughs) yeah the the mountain god and we see some cool props that were made for the movie the end of the film is actually kind of interesting because of this this village up in the in the the mountains that worship him and (laughs) although if, if we're making comparisons to king kong they the village has the weakest defense in, oh, in the are history. Are you talking about that little that little twig fence they've got? It is that apparently right. if if you go past that, it's bad news. And I'm like, what is that fence going to do for you? I mean, you I know? guess it's a reminder to people not to walk past it. But like the dog could just leap over that fence. It doesn't have to be and and, and, and does. <laughs> I also guess maybe they think that the the fence is maybe blessed and that yeah they, yeah they, that they bear doesn't go past it at the the middle part the the priest is there kind of like blessing it but i mean how many times has varen come out of the water and <laughs> <laughs> wreck everything and yeah uh, the well, yeah, fence doesn't seem to be doing a whole the lot. scene you're talking about so the, the, uh you know obviously a second team of researchers go into the the area and as they're talking to the village about you know being able to explore this kid tears off in front of everybody because his dog Chibi has run off. And so they go looking for this, this kid and everyone 
for some reason keeps calling like or, or, or shouting after him, calling him boy, even though they just heard his mother scream his name <laughs> like 45 times yeah. <laughs> at the top of her lungs. I'm pretty sure you could have figured out what his freaking name was. I was a little confused by that as well. Yeah, that, that's the kid Ken. And uh, what do you say the dog's name was? Chibi. Chibi. Yeah, we, we haven't really talked about. I mean, we get these main characters later on, but Yuriko Shinjo as uh, Ayumi Sonoda, one of the siblings of one of the researchers that died up in, in the mountains, mm-hmm. and Kinche Uazaki playing Kozo Nomura, who is another researcher, a student of, like, I guess a, a fellow student of, of the people that, that died up there. And they go up with third character who I believe is just a reporter. Yeah, he's because he brings all of his reporter buddies Horaguchi. Uh, after after they have like basically discovered Varen because Varen pops up mm-hmm. and kind of just postures really. And then we get some we get some newspaper things that ha- Varen has like destroyed a village here. And and this is where the kind of the synergy kind of falls apart because th- then they they lead another group of people out there, mostly reporters who want to take photos of this thing. And they're kind of acting like it's not real, even though we just saw three newspapers with the picture of the monster on it. So I'm not sure. I, I think that was another little loss in translation thing that happened. Yeah. When cobbling this film together. And, and it kind of loses itself for a little bit until until the, the plot starts moving along of I feel I feel like the middle part here is a lot of wheel spinning. Right, right. It does slow down a bit until we get to some fairly long action sequences mm-hmm. which it goes to prove that really spectacle can only carry some of these movies so far because i actually found myself getting a little bored with yeah i mean very th- these are like battles with varin that take place over like the better part of a day i think they start off at 3 p.m or 2 p.m is when they start the attack on varin because they, they say it very explicitly, like <laughs> 1,400 hours or something in right. the movie. Well, and then by the end of it, it's like midnight, you know? <laughs> like and again, and I, I not to give the, the film, you know, too much leeway, but if this was 1958 and I was watching this on TV, yeah, my attention would, I'd be wrapped, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know how many times our, our main female protagonist can really get in trouble but she gets lost originally and then she falls down and or is almost hit by a tree and like they keep having to like go back into the danger zone to to well, save the funny her thing is, she keeps telling them, like i'm fine She's like okay. she sent that she sent the dog like a messenger pigeon back and says mm-hmm. we're, we're good the boy is with me don't know where i got this pen and paper but <laughs> Here I feel like she probably could have found the cave by herself, but of course, Kenji goes back and and saves her. It's so interesting. They we don't get that much of them besides kind of, you know, I, I mean, just like in the previous movie, the, the actors are really just there to react to this giant monster, to be put in danger, and to move the plot forward. At some point, Kenji becomes our like main character <laughs> and right. all, all of a sudden has access to the MacGuffin, really, of this movie, this uh, the high-grade explosives that is used for like you know terraforming the, the mountainside, <laughs> which does seem out of left field because I was like, wait, isn't he like a, 
a butterfly researcher. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a typical thing in kaiju cinema specifically where someone who is so far away from their field of study is somehow in this adventure. Like, yeah. I mean, at one point in, in the Godzilla uh, franchise, someone who is making a homework monster is a main character in <laughs> a, a, a monster story. So Makes I mean, sense. The, yeah, it happens. So yes, the butterfly scientist, I, 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 it's fine. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> When we finally get our first view of Varen, I think it looks pretty good for the mm-hmm. most part. I was surprised because I thought, I, I guess the main <laughs> image of it in my mind is from Destroy All Monsters, that you know, tall, small flying prop. But the the suit is is not bad. It is very form fitting. It there's not a lot of bulk on it, so we get to see legendary Godzilla suit actor uh, Haru Nakajima you know, not bogged down with a 400 pound rubber suit he has a little bit more mobility. And unfortunately we do get him walking around on all fours, like on his hands and knees, which in parts looks okay. And parts doesn't look great. You know, it, it crosses that barrier where it's like, Oh, now I'm watching a person in a suit, you know, right. They, they do that with a lot of Kaiju. And I just, I think bipedal Kaiju just works a million times better. For the, for the most part, but he he's pretty matchful, and there there are parts of it that it looks very fluid. We get to see you know him swinging his tail around. We get a lot of great tail destruction in this movie. Do you have a, a favorite scene, Miles? Uh, something that that stands out to you? I will say, I I think the destruction of the monster is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So they have this scientist who's created a, a bomb that was initially created for for, for creating dams. Yeah, and that for what for whatever reason they they kind of like shorthand this in. They notice that Varen just keeps chopping on flares when they shoot flares up in the <laughs> sky. He's he's chopping those down. Yeah, and that that's a plot point kind of from Godzilla raids again. They're they're attracted to giant lights, light sources. Yeah, so they're basically like, okay, well, let's attach this bomb into these flares and mm-hmm. have him chomp down and kaboom. And the, it's a pretty cool sequence. Like, yeah, it's not it's not mind blowing. It's, you know, <laughs> well, with that. But like, if I had seen this again, I know I know it sounds like I'm giving this film such a pass. But if I had seen this on TV, because this movie is still made for TV, mm-hmm. I I would be impressed. Miles, we have to compare it to the likes of Godzilla, though. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's what's so unfair about this yeah. is, you know, because it's theatrically released, it is compared to Godzilla. And I mean, yeah, we technically have to do that. And because of that, I mean, do you want to kind of jump into how we feel about the film? Yeah, yeah, we can, we can start talking about it. I, I did want to say, I, I think I'm right with you. Those effects of Subaraya, anything in the suit, they look great. I mean, for TV, it would have been amazing. For a movie, it's still good. It's still better than anything we've seen in the American films. You know? Yeah, so. and that, 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 that's the, I mean, part of it is, you know, I had to watch for the Colossal Beast last week. So this this week, it's Varen. And guess who looks amazing in comparison? Yeah. So we rate these films on a scale of 1 to 10. They are rated by each of us individually in three categories, which 
The first one is personal enjoyment. You can guess what that's about. Second one is the technical aesthetic elements of the film. That's anything from directing, writing, acting to the suits, the, the special effects, because that is a huge part of these movies. And the third is it's emotional. It's evocative responses that this makes as a film and a film specifically in the kaiju genre we're, we're comparing these mainly to other kaiju movies how important it is and then we'll also talk about the legacy so miles i'm interested to, to find out what was your your personal enjoyment for for there in the unbelievable so despite the fact that i give this film such a pass mm-hmm. i still i still think it's it's still flawed and it's still doesn't fully deliver on what it tries to do. Now, I understand why it doesn't, but it still does not do that. Mm-hmm. That said, for personal enjoyment, I'll give it a six out of 10. I think it's a perfectly serviceable monster movie. I think it's got some really fun elements to it. And while it often overstays its welcome, par- partially because they were writing for episodes, and so you would have a cool sequence here and a cool sequence there and different right. episodes, it, it doesn't work as well with the, the film they had to cobble together. Um, that said, I, th- I think the writing is still pretty solid in terms of the, the action and special effects. I think the story is a little too light. Uh, I wish some of the characters had been fleshed out, but overall it's, it's still a very watchable, very decent monster movie. And it's what happens when you have, you know, three masters, even though they're being told they're creating something else and have to change the pretense upon which they're working with, they're still good enough that, this is what they come out with in such a colossal, you mm-hmm. know, turnaround uh, and snafu of a situation. Like th- this is still a very watchable monster movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely there. I think it could have flowed a little bit better if they had more time to change the script, but they really had to move forward <laughs> with what they were going to do for the TV version. And I'm not going to lie. I was pretty bored with a lot of parts of this movie and part of it is it just i mean maybe if it was in color it just didn't grab me as hard as a lot of the the other films by shira honda and yeah i wanted more from from the characters this is one of the first japanese monster movies where none of the characters really stood out and part of that is they just weren't given a lot of lines still this is watchable especially boy howdy if i could get my hands on that DVD, I think this would be a much more enjoyable experience with a really good cut of of the film, a good version. I, I still I, I can't give it anything less than a seven out of ten because I think that's what I gave for the Colossal Beast last week for for personal enjoyment. But uh, you you dug that hole yourself. I watched this very, I mean, in one sitting. Sometimes if if a movie's really bad, I'll have to like pause and come back to it. But yeah, for the most part, maybe if it was just a little bit shorter, because it does feel like it should be a 70-minute movie as opposed to 90. <laughs> it, it does, and maybe if they had been planning it from the beginning, it might have been. Technically, though, I think this is up there as well, and I have no problems giving this a 7 out of 10 for a lot of the technical aspects of it. You've got a great score. You've got very good effects. I love the destruction of the village that we see. There's not a lot of building destruction in this movie because majority of it takes place out in the wilderness, but that looks great. Varen sideswiping a rocket vehicle and stepping on a tank and things like that. I really wish it was in color, but I was giving this one a seven out of 10 for its technical aspects. Yeah. So 
for the technical aspects, I agree with you. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say. And knowing it's made for TV does pad that score a little bit, but it still mm. doesn't forgive some of the issues I have. And I'm not, I don't dock points just because, oh, they went from color to black and white. Yeah. But, but it, it, there are some noticeable quality differences. And obviously, because of the, the change up, everything feels a little disjointed. Mm. Now, the end product is still decent enough, but. At the at the end of the day, I'm still going to give it a six out of ten. I think it's they did uh, they did well with what they had. Everyone you know tried their best, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, again, it comes to they they were working for a different project. The project changed. Yeah, and it's, a, it's a large deficit to overcome. It, it is, to, and to I, I know I, I keep bringing up. that up, but like that that it's not just an asterisk for this movie. <laughs> the whole project should be forgiven because of this, you know. But it also, as 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 someone watching the film, yeah, yeah, it's still a six out of ten in in that aspect. What about your emotional evocative response as this kind of generates as a film? You know, we're definitely not talking about a movie or a TV show, but as a film, as, and- as a film, I think it's fine. It's I don't enjoy it as much as well, even as much as Godzilla raids again. I think that the kind of Kong-like atmosphere that they added to it is really interesting. I think the monster is pretty neat, but doesn't feel fully fleshed out in some Mm -hmm. of its design work, especially for the feature film. And I wish the characters had been a little more prescient, a little more important to the story. This is, again, I understand why they're not. (laughs) I understand what they were doing, but as far as my like my cultural emotional response is still a, a, a six out of ten and honestly sliding to five because Varen isn't brought up very much at all. He he pops up I think in two other projects in the future, and he I think, was I think just the one right destroy all monsters. I thought he popped up in something else. It feels like he should be in Final Wars. I don't think he he's he's not in Final Wars. <laughs> he is, but he is in several of the video games as a character. I think they actually use footage from this movie. I believe I was I, I looked this up in another film. Like I think it's like on a screen <laughs> at some point. I don't know if that's in the uh, the IMDb. <laughs> footage section yes so this is the only other he appears in one other film but he is in several godzilla video games oh yeah and he's actually in us in a couple of the novels and comics yeah it doesn't make any sense how how much of a uh an impact that he does have but yeah he <laughs> he's in Destroy All Monsters, I just went and looked. It's in there for about 20 seconds. Just the flying puppet, you know, <laughs> with very brief cameo. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I get that. And heck, he pops up in a, a novel set inside the the Netflix anime Godzilla series world. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. And I mean, I'm happy for him. I think that... It's, this this subgenre definitely invites people to champion some of the unloved creatures, and and Varen is certainly one of them. So, I, but I think I think kaiju fans, Toho fans especially, if you're a named monster, there has been a very great job done to kind of cement your name in history. Like, oh yeah, it, it, you you are logged and cataloged, and so. 
I think part of that, part of being a Toho monster has kind of helped. And so if you're into Toho and you're into Kaiju, and, and if you're in the Kaiju, you're likely into Toho films, then I think that that monster is still kind of relevant despite his limited features. So it's another six out of 10. I agree with you. I'm, I'm right there. I'm uh, digging a little bit more because he's only in another 20 seconds of film sure, after this. I get it. It is crazy that, like you said, any, I mean, even like the Gorosaurus and things like that have like this long life and, and miniatures and toys made out of them. 70 well, years later, 60 years He's almost years later. popped up several times. This happens a lot in, in the Toho films, specifically the Godzilla franchise, where you a might lot of these monsters be getting a sequel. They like start production on like, okay, let's do Godzilla versus Varen. And then that project well, falls through so to someone else. Varen, Varen was initially in the early drafts of Godzilla, what would become Godzilla versus Gigan. And he was supposed to join Godzilla and Rodan in defending the earth against King Ghidorah, Gigan, and a new monster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe, I don't know if we talked about this trivia. I think his roar was originally used for Barugon. I want to say mm. is like one of the, the sounds that they use for him. So he like pops up in some various ways. Like I said, I'm, I'm giving him a, a five out of 10 for that final score here. I mean, it brings both of our scores to a six out of 10, which makes sense. I think a six out of 10. I think it's perfectly fair is fine for this movie. I think you can get a higher personal enjoyment out of this, depending on how much you want to kind of invest yourself maybe in just the pure spectacle of, of this movie. I, I do recommend, I think anything that gets above a five is probably worth checking Mm -hmm. out at least once. Even some of the fives might be worth checking out (laughs) once, but a six out of 10 and with the pedigree behind it of the, the three masters at the helm of this movie definitely makes it worth uh, one to, to check out. But yeah, six out of 10 is our final kind of review for they are in the unbelievable and it's unbelievable that we've, we've gotten to this, the end of this episode. Miles. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not unbelievable. We do it every week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable that what I mean, we're almost, we're, we're in the twenties, <laughs> the, the 20 episodes we've, we've gone through already three decades of, of Kaiju films. And we're, we're nearing the end of, of the, the early beginnings of kaiju cinema yes. certainly some of the <laughs> the stumbling blocks and and odd stories like Varen the unbelievable the the vast majority of the american films we're we're going to watch in the entire entirety of of kaiju asia and then these early great japanese films and i would put this one up there like i said it's what is it so on par with what we gave godzilla reads again I think that one got a seven, seven. So they're, they're, they're up there. They're kind of the same, right? Uh, they're close, but that, I understand that, that makes sense. I think this one is just a, a tad beneath. Rates yeah, again. I, I, I completely agree. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Mm. 
So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. Email us with any comments, concerns, or Kaiju facts at Kaiju versus History at gmail.com and go to Kaiju versus History.com to get ready for the next installment of our March, the Annals of Monster Movie Mayhem. Thank you, Patrick, and our listeners. And we will catch you next time when we finish the 50s, thank God, with a film that many did expect and who even fewer may remember as we travel across the pond to our first but not last look at a British kaiju film. That's right. Next time, tune in for History versus the Giant Behemoth.